So how would we describe evil? What does evil look like? What does it look like? When we, when we, when we think of the subject evil, if you're like me, you probably think of people or specific events that have happened in our culture and our world that, that it's just a clear indication of evil. Guys like Ted Bundy, you, know, you hear about him and the, the, the horrible things that he did as a person, and it's a clear thing that, that's, that's evil. 9-11, you know, I was about 14 when that happened, and that was a clear indication of something evil. And even in the last couple weeks, all the mass shootings that have happened in our country, I think people have been, you know, have taken back and said, what's going on here? And everybody's trying to give different, different reasons why this is happening. Oh, it's this or it's that. But no one tends to say, you know what? It's evil. It's evil. It is sin. And so the question that we have to ask is, what can lead some people to do these wicked things? We have to ask the question, what can lead people to do such evil things? And we'll answer that in the sermon. We'll answer the question, why does this happen? And we're going to answer the questions whether or not Christians, can we be enticed to do evil? But we have to talk about evil. What does the Bible say about evil? Often I, you know, often I hear people say, man, evil, did God create evil? Is God responsible for evil? Or look what happened to my life. Obviously, this is something that God did. And so we have to read and ask the scriptures, what is evil? Who is responsible for that? And I think clearly in the Bible, we got clear passages that tell us off the bat, God is not responsible for evil. He is not the author of that. Psalms 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Alone in Genesis chapter 1, in the creation narrative, eight times we are told that everything God made was good. Nothing that God did seemed evil, wrong, bad, none of that. Everything he did was good. And so the question says, okay, then where does sin come from? Where does evil come from? Well, in that same narrative in Genesis chapter 3, it's a clear indication we're going to see what happens. Verse 1 in Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to go there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of the tree of the garden? And we know the narrative. We know what happens. We know that the enemy, Satan, deceives Eve, deceives Adam, and they eat from the fruit. And in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes. 
and that the tree was to be desi- it was to be desired to make one wise. Listen to that. To make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who ate with her, and both of their eyes were open. Both of their eyes were open. It's interesting that the, the scripture says that Adam and Eve were looking to be wise and we're going through wisdom. We're going through wisdom. It is a clear indication that God is not the author of sin, but it's Satan, the devil who is the author of sin. Evil was introduced by him because that is who he is. And ever since that day, we have had the, 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 the aftermath of sin and evil. Think of the next story that happens after Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel. The murdering of his own brother. And after that, you just read constantly. And you realize that much has not changed from Genesis chapter 3 to where we are today. Evil exists God is not the, the author of that. In scripture, God's attributes are good, moral, merciful, loving, compassionate, graceful. The list could go on of the beauty of God and the goodness of God. But yet Satan, Satan and his attributes are thief, murderer, liar, hatred, immoral, wicked. Those lists could go on forever too. Evil is sin. And it was authored not by God, but by Satan himself. And we're still seeing the effects of that today. So one of the questions I want to ask, you know, we, did, we just kind of did a little biblical theology on evil. Obviously, there's so much to the question, what is evil? There's so much to who is Satan, who is God, and what is, you know, but we're just scratching the surface in, to show you that God is good. God's intentions are never wrong. It is Satan who always looks to destroy you and to, and to kill you and to do everything he can to lead you into sin. So my question to you this morning, can Christians be entitled, enticed to sin, to do evil? And I believe yes. I believe Christians can be enticed to be evil because we're sinners. And therefore, we are called to know how to respond in wisdom. If you're taking notes this morning, that's my main point. Yes, Christians can be entitled to enticed to sin because we're sinners and therefore we're called to know how to respond in wisdom. Wisdom is going to show us how do we respond when we do have the temptations to do evil. We, we, we all, if we, if we start to think, oh, that, I, I'm not really enticed to do evil. Look, I have small kids, all right? And just this morning alone, there have been things that I'm like, what, what, that was, enti- that was, you didn't have to teach him that. That was an enticement to do evil. But it happens. And so we'll see in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 through 19, this father talking to his son about wisdom and what to do when evil is knocking at his door. This loving father, this kind of the structure that we've been going through the sermon of Proverbs, if, if, you, if we go back to what kind of Bill was talking about, Proverbs has this kind of wisdom versus foolishness, wisdom versus foolishness type of structure. And so today's 
Proverb is not any different. Proverbs 1, sorry. Proverbs 8 through 10, we're going to see wisdom's plea. And in verses 11 through 14, we're going to see wisdom's foolishness. Wisdom trying to say, no, 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 don't listen to wisdom, but do this instead. Rather, do this instead. And in 15 through 19, we're going to see how wisdom says, no, follow what I say, and it will lead you to the path that you should go. So that's the structure that we're going to see in Proverbs 1, chapter 8, uh, verse 8 through 19, is kind of this wisdom folly, wisdom folly type of uh, structure. So let's look at verse 8 in chapter 1, and if you're not already there. It says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a grateful, graceful gar- garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Verse 8, the father speaking to the son, which in us, if, if we're sitting here, this is God who is speaking to you who is speaking to me. God is saying, I got something to tell you, my children. Will you listen? Will you hear? What is it that I have to say? He says here, hear my son, your father's instructions. This is very important because what the father is trying to do here, he's trying to tell his son something that is very, very important. It's something that he needs to communicate to him because there is repercussions if he does not listen to him. In chapter 1, we kind of see this again. It says here, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, chapter 1, verse 1. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Then verse 7, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the father is saying, listen, this is for you, son. This is for you. I want you to hear what I'm going to say. Because if you don't, you're a fool. And you're headed to destruction. You know, I I grew up in a single parent home. I didn't grow up with my, my father. So I didn't have no one really to come to me and tell me, Joey, listen to me. I want you to hear this. Stay away from this, this, and this, and that because it will bite back. And because of that, it led me through a lot of different things. It led me through a lot of different sin and evil because I didn't have someone to to teach me. And here we have someone saying, listen. It kind of goes back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, when it says, honor your father and your mother. All that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Parents know, parents know what is best for their kids. Parents know what, what, what is best for their kids because parents, their objective is to produce wisdom in their kids. It's to keep them safe. It's to love them. It's as if, if I have my kids and, and they're touching a stove. Am I going to let them touch the stove that is hot? Or am I going to say, no, son, get away from that. It's going to burn you. That is what a parent is called to do. And in a sense, when the passage in Exodus chapter 12, 20, verse 12 says, honor your mother and father and your days will be long. 
In a way, in a way, it will be. Because if you don't, it could lead to your destruction and your own death. Look at verse 9. It says, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Wisdom seeks to build us up to the realities of God and how he calls us to live. If you're taking notes, this is a big one. Wisdom seeks to build us up to the realities of God and how he calls us to live. And in verse 9, he kind of gives this illustration of an athlete. An athlete, when disciplined, when they're hearers, when they're doers, they receive a reward. They receive the garland, they receive the pendants, they they receive the celebration. And so here in this proverb, we see the father saying, when you hear what I when you hear what I say and you do what I say, you too will receive celebration. You too will receive the, the, the gift of walking in wisdom. You too will build yourself up in the reality of who God is and how he wants you to live. And then we get to what he's trying to build them up to. He's going to get to what he's trying to tell him. The warning. The father's warning. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If sinners sinners entice you, do not consent. And here's the reality about sin, right? Here's the reality about, about this is that It is always looking to creep up on you. And sometimes it comes when we don't necessarily see it. It just, it's building up. It's it's, it's prowling around and it's looking for you. And at the right moment, it will jump. Sin is always looking to creep up in a very strategic way, by the way. It doesn't just do foolishness and and try to trap you in. There's a way, you know, Sin knows you very well. It knows how your patterns, it knows what takes you off, and it knows how you react to certain events. And so it will be, foolishness will, will look for that, those things in you to cause you to sin, cause you to do evil. Now here he's not saying that there, there's only, that only these people are sinners. We're all sinners. Right? We're all sinners, Romans 3, 23. We all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible's not saying that some are sinners and some are not. When he says, when sinners entice you, do not consent. He's not saying, oh, you're not a sinner, but they are. No, what he's specifically talking about here in this proverb is a specific kind of professional criminal that looks to recruit and doing wrong. This person wants you to join them in this adventure of self-destruction. There's a phrase growing up in Chicago. I grew up in, in urban Chicago hip hop. And there's a, there's a phrase called the goons will find you. The goons will find you. And it's true. The goons will find you if you let them. And here we got the wise father saying, don't be enticed. Do not consent to this. Don't do this, my son. But foolishness would say the opposite. Here's where foolishness comes in and says, hold on, time out. Let me get in here. Let me, tell, let me give you some of my wisdom, which is basically foolishness. It says, here my, it says here in verse 11, if they come, if they say, come with us, 
Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like she let us swallow them alive and whole like that those who go down to the those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Hey, throw in your lot among us and we will have one purse. Here's foolishness. It's saying, hey, listen, come to me. I know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you. And, and surely your father doesn't know what's best for you. Forget that. This is what you need to do if you want to succeed in life. If you're hungry and you want success and you want these things, this is the path you want to do it. This is the way you want to do it. And notice the recruitment strategy that, that it pursues, right? Notice the way it calls out to you. It says, it comes with, a, it, with an invitation, Come with us. It says, come with us. It's it's inviting you. It's saying, hey, look, look, we're we're pals. Let's come with me, and we're going to go do these different, these these things, and you're going to be successful. Success is going to come out of it. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be good. It's a typical gang-banging strategy. Here here go, a little part of my life again. Growing up in the city of Chicago, I grew up in this neighborhood. One of the things that I got constantly invited to do was join a gang. I grew up in this area, and one of the things is, 10 years ago, this neighborhood didn't look like this. 10 years ago, this neighborhood was different. And one of the things that I was constantly asked was like, hey, you're a kid. You're, you're kind of foolish. You're kind of dumb. Um, do you want a family? Do you, do you want success? Do you want money? Do you want people to look up to you? And that was always a way that it started to corrupt my mind because it, it sounds good. It sounds good that the enticement to to want to go with these people because they're offering you something that ultimately will under deliver. Sin promises fruit, but at the end of the day, it under delivers. The strategy is to want to welcome you in. And, and, and give you the spoils of your life. Look at verse 14 and how it says, throw in, among, throw in your lot among us and we will have one purse. It says, hey, come, let's get together and, let's, and let's, let's be a family. Let's be a family. But it always, undeliver, it always underdelivers. Sin doesn't look for the welfare of others. But it only looks out for you and the one that it entices. Misery likes company. Those who will pursue you to join them, pursue you to say, hey, this is the best way to do it, are often wanting to see you join them in the same track of their life. Misery wants company. They don't, it doesn't desire the best for you. Because notice here, it never talks about the repercussions of what happens when you do that. It never talks about, but when judgment comes, this is what it will, what it will look like. Foolishness leaves that out. It doesn't want you to know that. Haven't you realized in your own life when you're trying to consider, should I do this, should I do that, that, that little voice in your head is saying, oh, don't worry, that, you know, don't think about the consequences. Don't think about that. Just do it. And then when you do, you realize that then the consequences come and you said, whoa, I wasn't ready for this. And the sad part, the sad part of when we, when we are enticed by sin, when we're enticed by sinners, when we run to 
do what is evil is that always, almost always, it is the innocent that pay the price for it. It is always the innocent that pays the price. Look at verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like she all, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Almost always when you're in the pursuit of greed and the pursuit of what you want and the pursuit of your own sin, it will ultimately affect those who are innocent and have nothing to do with it. How might this look? There's ways that it looks. Envy. Envy that can lead to take what isn't yours at the expense of hurting somebody. Verse 12. It will swallow them up alive. Death will swallow them. Yo, is death will swallow them up alive. It's, it's interesting because Solomon is writing his Proverbs. And if who's Solomon's son? David. What does David do later on in his life that is considered to be one of the greatest sins? He kills an innocent man, takes his wife, and loses everything. It's interesting that it is Solomon that is writing this because it's almost foreshadowing what his son would eventually not do and not listen to. Greed. What about greed? That will lead you to trample over others. Nothing will stop you in getting the next promotion. Even if that means I have to lie, cheat, find a way to get in, but I'm going to do whatever it takes because I'm selfish and I'm greedy and I want what's mine. We live in a culture that we think we're entitled to every single thing that our hearts desire. And that is the type of heart that leads often to sin and often to our own destruction. Greed. Jealousy. Jealousy over your possessions that you feel that you need to protect. If anybody comes to me, I got to take them down. I have to destroy them because this is mine. Nobody else's. Those who practice these things... Those who practice these things and then tell others to do this will have you believe that this is the only way to succeed. This is the only way to pursue wisdom and life. And there are other ways that this happens too. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not really enticed by sinners. I'm not really greedy or I'm not, I'm not jealous. I don't, I, don't, I don't have those qualities in me. I'm not being enticed by sinners. But let me ask you this. How often do we see retaliation, pride, hate, evil thoughts, anger lead us to pursue evil? How often do we see the retaliation? This person did something to me. So now I need to get vengeance on them because they hurt me. I have to hurt them. Pride. It's my way or the highway. I don't care if it offends you. I want to do it my way. Hate. That person doesn't look like me, so I don't like them. They're not from here. They need to go. Evil thoughts. Anger. Anger that Jesus says, even if you have anger, it's like committing murder. Anger in your heart that eventually leads to birth to sin. 
It leads to want to find and pursue your own destruction. And often we look for others to validate that in us, that, that feeling, that, that the way we're thinking. We look to justify it. We say, I, I got every right to be mad. And you might. But the way you try to seek out the, 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 the way you want to seek out the way that makes things right doesn't always lead to fruit. Often it leads to destruction. I love what Jackie Hill, she, wrote, she had a good, really good quote this, uh, I read this week. She said, what is good can seem evil, and what is evil is excellent at looking good. I love that. I love that. I'm going to read that again. What is good can seem evil, and what is evil is excellent at looking good, because we will try to justify the mess out of it. We will try to say, hey, this is, this is good. You know, like I have, I have a right to do these things. I have a right to think these things. And ultimately, we think because we don't cheat, kill, or steal, we're somehow justified. And we're not. And God hates it. God hates it. It's sin. It's evil. And therefore, the Lord does not take pleasure in it. Tim Chalice had a great article on why God hates the wicked, why God hates sin. He says, God hates the wicked because their wickedness is a first mark of the deepest rebellion against him and his rule. It's a deepest rebellion against him. It's, I am going to do things my way. That is the root of evil right there. It's pride. And he hates it. He hates it. God hates evil because it's expressed in ways that it harms the people that he created. Every one of us are image bearers. And when we try to seek out evil, or we are enticed by evil and we, we live up to it, we commit these things, ultimately they're committed against the people that God created in his own image. They're his people. He's created them. Believer or not, it, they're still created in the image of God. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are we easily enticed? Are we easily enticed? Do, do we find ourselves often being tempted to do sin or to, 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 do, to do something that we know that the Lord would not take pleasure in? There's a simple examination of our own hearts that will show us whether or not we're on the path to that. Do we look to gain over others at all costs? Do you feel that you have a score to settle and it will stop you at nothing to do it? Is there anger in your heart this morning? Is there something in your heart this morning that's angry and, you, and you're burdensome and it's leading you to, to feel the emotional destruction of it? Is that you this morning? How do we respond to those things? How do we respond? Do, do we do what the foolish man would say? Run to it. Do it. But surely if you do, there is a consequence. There are consequences for 
the route of evil if we desire to take it. And that's why in verse 15, we hear the father's plea. Here comes wisdom again and telling foolishness away. Let me speak to my son. He says in verse 15, my son, do not walk in the ways with them. Hold back your feet from their path for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. He says, do not consent. Do not give a a footstool to them in your life. Wisdom is warning us that when we follow foolishness as vice, it will lead to our destruction. Here's again, you know, the father saying, look, I know these things. I've lived these things. I've been, and you know, I'm, I'm older. I'm mature. You know, this weekend I had a, I had a wonderful conversation with my son and we, and it, it, this text became real to me because, you know, we were talking about a certain situation and I, and I remember sitting my son down on the table and, and I'm like, I love you. And, and I want the best for you. And I want you to walk in these ways. Do not do this. And I, and it immediately brought me to what Solomon is writing here. What God is trying to write to you and write to me. He's saying, in love, in love, with the deepest father's love. He's saying, do not do it. I plead you, do not do it. For it will lead to your destruction. It says, For those who walk in his ways, their feet run to evil. That's not who we are as Christians. That's not who we are as believers. We shouldn't be defined as ones that look to settle scores or look to run to do the things that God hates. That's not who we are. Do not consent. Do not do it. For evil and those who choose that way, their purpose is to walk in darkness. They delight in evil. They delight in it. They delight in it. They love to sin. But they don't realize it will lead to their destruction. Wisdom does not leave us here without the consequences of what happens when such people desire to do things on their terms, to do things opposite to what God has called us to do. It says, my son, um, it says here, for in vain is not a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood that set an ambush for their own lives. Verse 17, it has an interesting phrase. It says, for in vain is not a, a net spread in the sight of any birds. I kind of caught, I was like, what does that mean? And I looked at different commentaries just to see what was, what was the, inter, uh, the interpretation of that? And I found two different interpretations that I, that I actually think one commentary had it best because the one commentary said there's actually two ways to interpret this. And both actually work for application for us. Both work. One, verse 17, again, where this is the trap and the birds. Verse, in one of the ways that it can be interpreted is this. Those who do evil can compare to foolish birds who fall into the snare, even though they were forewarned, and therefore those who practice such things, it will lead to the Lord's judgment. Like a bird, you know, in this interpretation, the bird's flying, and it sees the trap, but somehow it still thinks it can still go through it. It's like that bird with the clear, you know, if you've seen those YouTube things, a bird tries to go into the window, and then it just smacks 
That's what it's saying here. The Lord's judgment will be on those who think, who think that they won't, that they, they will get away with it. They're setting up their own traps. Psalm 711, verse 16 says this. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wheat his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him deadly weapons, making his arrows fairy, uh, fury shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and his own skull, his violence, his violence descends. Notice that I love in verse 15, it says, he makes a pit digging it out, because if you contrast to what foolish says in verse, in verse 12, it says the, it's the opposite here. Verse 12 in, in chapter 1, foolishness is saying, hey, let's, let's, let's make, a, let's, Let's kill them, swallow them up alive, and then go down to the pit. They will go down to the pit. And in verse 15, I love that God says, no, 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 no. You kind of you spoke too soon because it is you. You're making the pit. You're digging it out. And you ultimately are going to feel the destruction of it. You're going to feel that. And so wisdom would say, do not consent. For this is not who you are as a Christian. You're not wicked. That's not what Christ has purchased for you. Christ has purchased you a way to live in wisdom and a way to live in holiness. God's like, that's not you. The wicked will fall. The wicked will be destroyed. There's another way to read this, verse 17. It says this. Another way someone could read it is that the trap that is being set, the bird actually sees the trap and actually is forewarned and therefore go completely goes away from the trap. He leaves the trap because he sees it as he's flying through. He says, I'm not going to go there. This is like the man or woman that is watchful and is always looking for the trap that is being set. In that same way, Wisdom calls us to be watchful. Wisdom calls us to be watchful. It causes us to see how the enemy can come like a lion prowling around, seeking someone to devour. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. Are we watchful? Are we watchful people? Do we know ourselves to know what gets us to a place that can cause us to do heinous things to others or to commit sin to others? Second Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. 
go back to verse 8 and 9. Is it any different from what the, the father is telling the son? Hear, my son, your father's instruction and not forsake your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. God's word, he's given it to us that we would be, we would know it. That we would see how the enemy will try to use the very things that, that take us, that, that get us to a place. And he will use that to trap us. But God says, no, no, listen to my instructions. Obey my words. This is wisdom for you. Be watchful for the way the enemy will try to trap you. Do not consent. Rather, listen to this. Rather, instead of looking to do evil or, you, or being enticed to do something that you know you shouldn't do, Christ calls you to be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. If you are a believer here this morning, you are a child of God. You belong to him. Therefore, and I love what Jeremy said earlier, you do not have to sin. You do not have to use those, you know, you know, you don't have to do the things that often the enemy tries us to believe we have to do. Instead, we can choose to love, love, and be peacemakers. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. We don't have to sin. Christ has purchased for something so much greater, something so much greater that we don't have to be the people that we once were. Because 2,000 years ago, the most evil thing happened. 2,000 years ago, the most evil thing that you could have thought of happened. An innocent man was put to death. But it's because of that innocent man's blood, you are free today, Christian. It's because of what he did 2,000 years ago, the, 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 the event that shook history, he purchased something for you so that you do not have to do this. But he calls you then to be a reflection of who he is. He calls you to be like him and be peacemakers. Can you imagine our world if we would be peacemakers rather than evildoers? You are not wicked. You have been purchased by purchased been purchased by at a at a high cost. So when we are tempted to and be enticed to do things that we're not called to do, I pray that our, our hearts will lead us to the word. I pray that we would seek wisdom. This is God's wisdom, is his word. I pray that we would. Look at the things that are easily entice us and, and weigh them with the scripture. What are things that get you to a place where you want to do harm or commit sin? Do you know yourself well enough? Because trust me, the enemy knows you. Oh, trust me, he knows you. That's, he's, a, he's a lion prowling around ready to destroy and devour you. Do you know yourself have you trusted in Christ? Have you put your hope in him and realized that Jesus has, has set you free? You are not who you once were. 
Maybe some of us need to repent this morning. Maybe some of us, there is anger. There is those things. Maybe we're called to repent. Maybe we're called to make peace with somebody. Where are you this morning? Lastly, I want to close with John chapter 10, verse 10, because I think it's, this is the contrast between a good God and, a, and a Satan and being evil. John 10, 10 says this, says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has come to give you life. The road of the foolish to sin and to commit evil is their own destruction and the Lord would deal with them. But those whom he has set free, he has saved you to live a life that, 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 that sets you free from, from, from thinking that I got to do this on my own. Come to Jesus, let him show you wisdom, how, how to love somebody, how to uh, rejoice with people when, when good things happen to them. Let us be peacemakers. Let, us be, let that peace rule over our hearts this morning. That's my prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Father, I pray that we would be peacemakers. I pray, Lord, in ways that our own hearts deceive us to do certain things, I pray that, God, you would, Lord, speak your wisdom to us. Speak your word. Your word is wisdom to us. It is the instruction that you have given us. You've called us to so much more. If we are believers today, Lord, you have set us free. The enemy looks to destroy and take what is yours. But God, we, we, we can stand secure that, Lord, we belong to you and that you will, you will lead us where we need to go. And when we fail, Lord Jesus, when we do fail, we will. Lord God, would you just remind us of your grace Remind us of your goodness, Jesus. Remind us that when we fail, we can come to you and you will always beautifully give us grace and forgive us and that we will continue then after to be peacemakers. Lord, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Would you um, bring conviction where there needs to be conviction? Lord, bring hope where there needs to be hope. Lord God, show us your ways. They're beautiful. Lead us in righteousness, oh God, for that's who you are. That's who we are because you've made us that way. We belong to you, Jesus, and we're thankful for that. In your name we pray, amen.